Welcome to the Arseholics podcast on Sunday night. Uh, you've got me, Raj, here. You've got Mize, who introduced himself already. And um, you've got uh, Aaron in there. Why is that being so more... funny? <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know. Like, you know, I just thought, mate, do you want to cough? Do you want to sneeze as well? Do you want to, you oh, know, right. is that what, was that what we're doing? <laughs> good. Oh, good. Um, we are recording after a massively important game that we weren't involved in um man city and tottenham man city were at tottenham today in a game that was hugely relevant for us and uh i want to talk about this a little bit about you know whether it's okay or not to um want to saw, win i saw this mate on twitter yeah. I, was me- I was meant to message you but i've just been so busy this evening <laughs> i saw you got into a little bit of a i didn't realize this would be so controversial did you right? see this Aaron? Then? i saw that so Raj was obviously like, I think everyone should want Man City to win. If not, what? you are. Is that not what you said? Spurs to win. No. Yes. Oh, sorry, Spurs to win. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got complete wrong end of the... <laughs> Yeah, you said I want everyone to. I think everyone should want Spurs to win. If not, basically, you're not an Arsenal fan and you should leave the club. I mean, that's so, not what along I those said. lines, right? Like, I did. <laughs> that's that's not what I said. But but I mean. Look, the essence of what I said was like that I didn't really understand how in the context of the season that we're in, people wouldn't want Spurs to win this game, right? And my whole point about that was like, look, Spurs ain't catching us this season. Okay, they're just they're not a they're not a rival to us in terms of what we're trying to achieve this season. Man City are it could be the first time we win the league in geez, you know, two decades. It's huge. And so yeah, Spurs playing Man City just in the context of that. I was confused as to why anyone wouldn't want Spurs to take points off Man City and the maximum amount of points, you know. Um, I didn't think it would be that controversial. I don't think it overall was that controversial. But, you know, a couple of people sort of said, yeah, no way. Um, would never want Spurs to win. And then I kind of got into it into um, with one particular person who I won't, who I won't call out. She's a very nice person, actually, like uh, generally. Um, but... <laughs> But but like, I don't know. I got really taken aback by so I don't know. So look, I get your guys' opinion on this, right? Just at the most ba- at the most basic level, right? What what I mean? Look, I'm I don't like Spurs. I'm an Arsenal season ticket holder. Why would I like Spurs? I don't want good things to happen to Spurs. But but in the context of what's going on at the moment, I'm very clear. I can sleep well at night wanting them to have won today, which they did. I mean, what do you guys think? No, nah, reluctantly, I, I agree. I'm sure Myers probably agrees as well. In that, mate, we we are going to need every little bit of help to win this title. <laughs> and um, it there aren't many teams in the league that can beat City, right? And you, if if anyone offers us a chance of beating City, and that helps us win a league title, mate, I don't care who it is. Um, the you know the reality is if we win the league every single team in the country finishes below us uh mm. so it does not matter what they do if this helps us win the league now obviously if in some horribly tragic scenario if we fall away and we're in a top four battle with spurs it becomes very different but for now we are you know it could possibly want be a once in a, a generation opportunity to challenge for a league title we have to take everything we can get and right now man city are our biggest rivals for winning a league you have to want them to drop points wherever they go 
even if that means it's Spurs. And I, I think, you know, I tweeted this. I think the good thing is there were a lot of Spurs fans out there who probably would have been pretty happy if they had lost today. <laughs> um, and actually, they're probably going home now really annoyed that they've won. <laughs> and and that makes me happy uh the fact that we can um just put a little bit of misery on spurs and harry kane's big day makes it all the you know a little bit more tolerable particularly if like the league is won by say if we win the league by a couple of points or something like this right that you know where it's a one game swing type thing um but you know guys do, do, do you also think that do you also think that it's a it's a case where Spurs fans, in a way, would probably be really annoyed at the thought of Arsenal fans actually wanting them to to win the game? It kind of says something around superiority when yeah. that dynamic hits, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, look, I, I pretty much agreed with what, what you know, both of what you guys were saying. It it's a bit of a weird stance to take when you know, no matter what the situation, no matter what the scenario. You just you just want Spurs to lose, like that's that's not the case. Yeah, like like you say, you know, if it comes to the end of the season, and we win the league by a point or two points or three points. You could trace it back to to Spurs basically doing us a favor. Obviously, it's not it's not as straightforward as that. But yeah, like I mean, <clears throat> I don't know Spurs fans like Aaron, and you've said the point about they'll be going home unhappy today or kind of partially unhappy, which I get. But I guess. Uh, put, put it this way, right? If it's the other way around and Spurs are challenging for a title yeah. and we are playing Man City, I would you be were, kind of annoyed that were, we've lost. That if, we've it, if it if it was sort of like five or six games to go, then yeah. yeah I think there's so much no, no, football to be played that I don't think if you're a Spurs fan, you're probably just enjoying the win. You're probably just enjoying the fact that Harry Kane's now all-time top scorer, whatever, 200 Premier League goals. like And especially they got beat by Man City a couple of weeks ago. Like, I think you're just probably reveling in that for now. Um, if it was, well, like yeah, I say, April, March, April, it's a little bit different because then it probably has more of a an impact on, you know, the end of the season, like the run. Yeah, yeah. No, no, of course. It just, you know, even if it makes them feel 1% less happy. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> but this this whole point you made, right, about it not being that far, it's as in there being lots of time left this season and therefore lots of other things could could be the difference, yeah? Like, so so that could be something where a lot of these Arsenal fans who are saying, no, never want Spurs to win, um, you know, t- today is no exception, blah, blah, blah. It's something that they could stand behind because they could say, look, there's loads of football to be played. So in this Twitter exchange that you are, you know, that, that, that you referenced before, right? I made that point. So I said, okay, because it seemed very emotive. There's a couple of people who are very emotive about it. They really felt like there is no circumstance in which you would, you should ever want Spurs to win. So I said, look, imagine a hypothetical scenario. Arsenal and City are going for the league title. It's the last game of the season. And if Tottenham beat City, Arsenal win the league. And if Tottenham do not beat City, like if it's draw or a City win, City win the league. So it's completely binary completely mm. binary situation last game of the season and i still got knocked back i said oh, yeah. there's no situation and for me that and, and so in fairness but so what so what this person then turned back to say to me which i think is a is a question to open up to you guys is um 
she basically sort of implied that I don't really understand local rivalry, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> you uh, live all and, the way in Surrey, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Well, it's, it's basic, which is quite funny because I think she just assumed that I didn't live in the area. Like, make that of what you will. Or in right? the country, maybe. <laughs> yeah, perhaps or the country. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So so she never actually responded to when I said, to be clear, are you saying that you would rather Arsenal not win the title in that scenario? She was kept saying, she kept on just asking the local question. I sort of said, well, well, I'm not local, but I'm pretty sure not every local would, would, would agree with that. Maybe I'm wrong. That Maybe. I don't know. Is this yeah, mate, something that, is that no, like, Sorry, that is nonsense. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, I, well, that, if, that's why. <laughs> yeah. If it was a choice of Spurs winning or Arsenal winning the league, I'm <laughs> picking Arsenal winning the league any day. Like, I don't know. Maybe if we've won 15 League Cups in a row and this is the 16th chance to win a League Cup, I might be like, you know what? I don't care about that 16. Or if we won 16 league titles in a row, maybe the 17th one, I'll be like, actually, be quite funny if Spurs drop some points today. Screw the league title. <laughs> but um, even then, yeah, that is a an extreme position to take. Yeah. So my, <laughs> what my thing there was, I said, well, in that scenario, then the only explanation is is that you hate Tottenham more than you love Arsenal, and that's okay if that's what you know, your position is. But if you love Arsenal more than you hate Tottenham, there is no doubt you want Arsenal to win the league. That is, you know, yeah, just over and above. I think there was another tweet that if you're talking, I think it was in that same uh, thread or that conversation you're having where the person said something along the lines of, we should be able to win the league title without favours off anyone else. So if we're good enough to win it, we're good enough to win it regardless, which it's sort of true yeah but yeah like i mean if you're good enough and you can blow everyone else out of the water then great but obviously yeah like aaron has said you want city to be just dropping points as much as possible to help us along the way i remember i think it was it 99 where on the last day mm. i think spurs were playing man united we, yeah I think and you're right. we were playing i'm tempted to say villa but i don't know if that's right and um we needed a yeah, we needed a Spurs win. Yeah, they, they obviously like didn't do it. Hell, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, no, I mean, same thing. Uh, that that is the scenario you you asked, right? Right? Like, yeah, we needed a Spurs win to get the league title, and yeah, of course, everyone. I think I'm pretty sure I was watching that game, and people at Highbury were singing, "Come on, you Spurs." No, yeah. yeah, on the I'm no. pretty sure. Yeah, because <laughs> no we went that's, we went like one nil up or extreme. something like that. We went one nil up and it was the last day. I'll have to like check YouTube or something. And I'm pretty sure people at Highbury were singing, Come on, you Spurs, because they needed a win from Tottenham. Like obviously in jest, like yeah, I'm not yeah, saying yeah. they're all like Tottenham supporters, <clears throat> but um it's happened, mate. It's happened before. And if yeah. it happens again, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever sing Come on You Spurs, but Raj, Raj was in the group chat today, wasn't he? <laughs> I, was. yeah. I mean, Absolutely. Like, we need every every bit of help we can get in this this scrap that we're gonna be in. Um and if it comes in the form of a Harry Kane one nil winner, you have to take it. And is this you this so we obviously line up, we're going to record this episode. Um, and when, you know, we, 
when we when when we were planning this episode, etc. Like this game hadn't happened yet, so you know we had discussed our own feelings around um, the Arsenal game immediately after the game finished, etc. Now, this result that has just happened now, I imagine actually may affect some of the tone, feeling, or just just general kind of opinion on the result. Because yeah, you know, I I think every, I think everyone pretty much expected City would would probably win today. Uh, it was quite interesting, you know, watching on Sky and and watching their kind of uh, their reflections on the game. A lot of the pundits seemed to suggest that today was the day that they sort of thought that the tide would change, right? Arsenal dropped points and now City's famous second half of the season points kind of accumulation um, thing that they have, the kind of the the amazing ability they have to do that. I think everyone assumed that would start there, but but it didn't. Um, So after today's game, do you guys feel any differently about the threat of Man City versus, you know, uh, you know, because I guess you know the, the the feeling has always been that they they are the the behemoth. They're, they're the one that as soon as we slip up, it, it's going to get away from us. But do, do do your feelings about the dynamics between the two teams have it has it changed since what you saw today? I mean, Mize, do you have any thoughts on it? it? I think it has a little bit to be honest. I mean, look, yeah, obviously, I think we all probably expected that the gap um, by now a Sunday evening would be two points. Um, and it does put a completely different spin on the weekend because it's almost like, well, from an Arsenal perspective, nothing's changed. It's another game ticked off. Yes, we've lost, but so have they. So from a kind of, yeah, obviously points difference and how many games are left to go, it doesn't really change anything. But <clears throat> if you're looking at City, I can't really work it out. And I don't think many people can really work it out unless you're prob- probably Pep Guardiola, where what is, they, they, they've been very, just indifferent this season. Hmm. And it's really hard to say, like, you know, even when you think of some of the play, some of his team selections, like today he went with, um, what's the young fullback's name? Rico Lewis, um, at left back. Didn't play De Bruyne. I'm not sure. Like I didn't really watch the game properly and I didn't really catch up like pre-match or post-match. So I'm not really sure kind of what happened, but De Bruyne didn't start again, which is a bit odd. Obviously Haaland's probably still going to get 30 or 40 goals this season, but, you know, there's certain games where he's just not getting a look, look in or he's just not getting the service. So there's, you know, players like Phil Foden, I don't know if he was injured, but, you know, he's not starting at the moment. It's all a bit, it's all a bit strange from a, from a city perspective. And just, to, just think, before you can, just to, just yeah. to clarify those, those two points, because I saw the pre-match. So, so De Bruyne, De Bruyne Pep confirmed was a tactical decision. So he was completely fit. It was purely tactical, but yeah. Foden, um, showed discomfort or some kind of illness okay. in the night before. So yeah, right. sorry, carry on. Interesting. No, no. Yeah. So, I mean, regardless, like, yeah, um, just some, some interesting decisions from Pep and obviously he's trying to, I guess, find a formula that works and, and probably hasn't really been able to do that yet. Um, and, and yeah, like you would think that they, like you, like you say, like the narrative before they played today was they win, they're two points behind us. They're then, you know, a, a win away from, you know, a, a, a two-point swing, a three-point swing, a win away from then overtaking us. It changes it changes the kind of mindset, you know, um, if you're trying to chase a team down and us trying to hold City off. So very, very surprised. And they didn't really play, like I said, I didn't watch the game properly, but they didn't really play very well today at all. Spurs were, I think they deserved, deserved the win um, completely. Um, 
and and it's just weird. It's a weird one. Like, is it Haaland? Is it the fact that they're now just having to play a very different way with a different type of striker than what you know one they've ever had before? And if he doesn't get the service, then is he offering offering enough else um, for the team? Arguable, arguable. I don't, I don't know. But um, yeah, like I mean, I. I think it's given me a bit more confidence to be honest, because I think now we're seeing this where city have dropped points through the season. They're, they're doing that quite frequently now. Um, and yes, there's still what 18 or so games to go. So they could easily go on a massive run, a really good run and, and, and probably pick up um, a shitload of wins. And, and, you know, it's all, it's all about Arsenal matching that or bettering that, but I'm not sure I'd back them to do that this season compared to previous seasons. Like even the season they had to chase Liverpool down, um, they won like 14 games in a row. And I'm not saying they would necessarily even have to do that to catch us, but that's their levels. Like that's the, you know, that's what they've done in the past. I'm not sure looking at this City team, there's just something not quite right with them. Maybe they're just not clicked yet. I don't, I don't know. It's a, bit, it's a bit of a weird one. But yeah, I don't know what you guys think about it. I think... I mean- Go on, Aaron. And quickly, I, mean, I, was I, gonna, I was just going to prompt on that because you know it clearly, clearly there is something that's not quite right. And Pep's Pep's post-match interviews are pretty, um, pr- pretty damning towards his own team, right? He's, he's he's really laying the gauntlet down and talking about passion, etc. But yeah, what are your thoughts? Because he is chopping, changing. He is being ruthless. He is being kind of callous in some ways. Um, you know, he is doing lots of different things and surprising everyone. And before those surprises usually led to wins and, oh, what genius. And now it's looking the other way. That being said, they're still second. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think two things, right? So number one, I think you have to say the Haaland effect is is certainly probably one of the biggest factors tactically while why they're less uh, dominant in games. Because what you get with Haaland, you know, is you get an elite goal scorer, like, and when we say elite, we're talking like the best in the world, but you don't get much else. And um, it's a bit like, and therefore they're trying to do all those pep things that they used to do with 11 people with 10. And it just becomes a little bit easier to play against. And, you know, the, the downside of that is you then have to deal with an elite striker when you're a defender. Right. And, this guy has shown that he, if he, if you don't deal with him, he will punish you ruthlessly again and again and again. But I think it just makes Man City a bit more of a what's the word, uh, an easier opponent to defend against because you know that if you can contain Haaland, because he's not doing anything else, he's not able to bring other players into the game as much as well Gabriel Jesus could do, how as much as. Um, some of the other players they had and that you know, I think psychologically like I think now it's you stop Haaland you stop Man City before it was if you stop Jesus you're not stopping Man City because you've got De Bruyne you've got Mares, you've got Sterling uh, and yeah, you've got Silva Gundogan and all those players and they've had to sacrifice that a bit now thing is Haaland is very hard to stop and he could literally score four goals every game from now until the end of the season and win them the title and I think that's what that's a calculation that Pep has done. Um, but then secondly, I think, you know, City, yes, they've dropped their levels, but let's be real. If it wasn't for an outstanding Arsenal team, they'd still be running away with it. Uh, the fact is we've kind of rocked up with a 50 point half season 
which is basically a you know a hundred a hundred point season over the course of thirty eight games, and they're what five points behind us. So you know, very bad rough maths, but they're still on course for a, a ninety plus point season, which in most seasons yeah. will give you the league quite easily. So you know, I think you know the fact is they've they've come up against a very very good opponent in us. And they're having to be very, very good because for the first half of the season, we have basically been perfect. Yeah, this it's 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 all good points. And you know, Shani in the comments talking about an article in the Guardian about Pep streamlining effectively. You know, trying to get the best out of Harland. I I get that. Uh, I get that. Clearly, they've invested in the world's most elite talent with regards to you know the center forward position he has a very specific profile and they have to do something to be able to accommodate him the the things that i don't understand are twofold firstly at the beginning of the season that didn't look like it was a problem so it looked like they were getting the best out of him and they were doing just fine i think there was one game early season where they drew away somewhere but otherwise you know the guys banging goals they they look dangerous and it and and i think partly the reason why he was dangerous was because teams were unable they knew that they couldn't just try and stop him there was so much talent elsewhere so some so on one hand it feels like teams have figured something out and tottenham and man united both did really well i think it just eliminating harland um but the second thing that that doesn't quite stack up for me is it's not just really around him that these changes seem to be fairly radical i mean Pep's approach to his back four, his his evolution of the 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 kind of inverted fullback position. I think we talked about it on one of our episodes before using Rico Lewis and doing that in a different way. I don't think that's Harland driven. Yeah, you know, I don't think that's driven from purely trying to get the best out of Harland. That's just him trying to take this evolution of, of the team. He's trying to change stuff. He's trying to get them to do different things. But also from a personnel perspective, I think he's really, really laying down the gauntlet to sort of say, well, look, if you're not going to do the new things that I want you to do, then I'm going to drop you. And maybe that's why Diaz and Laporte, despite being fit, aren't getting picked or why De Bruyne is being left on the bench, at, you know, on a, on a massive game like this. Or why Cancelo oh, left as well. Or why Cancelo left, right? Like, and it it feels a bit like something's not quite right behind closed doors. Like there's a little bit of tension. There's a little bit that, I think Pep thinks that he needs to exert his 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 influence. Or guys, or is the point is is it just as as ruthless as Pep going? Do you know what? I want to basically do what the hell I want to do in the league, and I think I'm probably good enough to put up a title challenge. But if I don't, it's okay because my focus is Champions League, and I'm going to completely focus on winning the Champions League, and I'm getting my team ready for the way that I think I need to play in the Champions League. Well, what, Could is it be that? That? what is that though? It's getting ready for the Champions League, losing to Spurs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Like, like what? But but is it hypothetically? Is it is it you know? Is he? I guess time will tell. But is he trying to play his big players less? by just kind of, you know, managing their fitness in a really ruthless way. Obviously, that wouldn't stack up with the fact that he plays Haaland every game. But, you know, with the other guys, Diaz, Laporte, fullbacks with um, uh, De Bruyne, sometimes with Foden, you know, even though he was unfit today, you know, generally he, he, he does have a tendency to drop him every now and again. Um, Mahrez is often benched. 
whatever. Is, he's is, always done that though, mate, hasn't he? Yeah, like to a certain yeah. extent, if you think about it, you think back, you know, Pep's always been a tinkerer. He's always changed. You know, you never really know. Like we all play fantasy football, fantasy Premier League, <laughs> and you pick, you know, a Mares or you pick a Foden, but you just don't know if he's going to start that week or he might be like, no, I'm going to start him in the Champions League next week. And he literally could swap a number of players. And and yet he's still been pretty successful, successful over the years regardless. So I agree with you that he is changing a lot, but I think one thing that you generally don't do, or I'm quite surprised that he's doing, is you don't rest your best player. Or, sorry, not rest. You don't not play your best player. And De Bruyne not starting this week. And I don't think he started another game a couple of weeks ago or last week. I can't remember. I don't um, think he's played against Spurs in the home game either. In the home game, yeah. And that's that's interesting. Like, he's he is their best player and, and he is like what you'd say Erdegaard is to us, but probably, you know, he's better than Erdegaard. Um, and yeah, he's such a, he's just a world-class player. How, how do you not play him? So it is interesting. Maybe the priority has shifted a little bit, but you know, how do you, you can't turn it on and off like that, right? Like you can't turn form on and off. So it's like the Champions League is around the corner. Mm. They need to be, I mean, arguably you don't, but Ideally, you want to be doing well in your domestic competition and you just kind of, you know, seamlessly transition into into your European games and you come off the back of a win in the league. It, that's how it should work. So, I mean, I agree with everything you guys have said. It's just, it's really weird. Like, it's one of those things that you can't put your finger on it. I guess the worry is, if he gets it right, <laughs> then, then you know, we, we know how good City can be and we know they've got talented players, obviously, and they are capable, you know, Pep is capable of putting getting this team to go on a on a very, very um, consistent run. And ultimately, that's what's going to win the league, right? That's what wins the league every season, the most consistent team. So at the moment, that that's not them. Um, and we'd have to see, right, if, if all of these changes end up. Let me, let me ask you guys a question. Um, jumping the gun a bit here. How many points do you think... We've got two games against them. How many points do you think we'll get? And... How many points do you think will be enough from those two games? Mm. It's hard to answer the second question, I think. Right yeah, now. yeah. Because there's so many other games. Right. So like, put it this way: like, if we get obviously, if we get six points versus them, yeah, okay, that, then, that, then, <laughs> that yeah. then means like. Yeah. So, so I think we'll beat. I think I think we'll beat them at the Emirates. I'm not confident. Like, I'm not going into game saying we're definitely going to win, but. Like what you said in the group chat earlier, Raj, you know, if they play the way that they played today and in a few other games recently, you know, how good we've been at home this season, we should we should beat them. And I can see that happening. I think that game, though, and I know we're going to come on to this, but the Brentford game before that is just massive because mm. if we don't beat Brentford and then City win, I think they've got Villa at home. Yeah. Then the gap could potentially be two points if, we, let's say, we lose to Brentford um, and they win. That's two points, and then they come to at the game uh, at the Emirates, knowing that if they win, they go top. So I think that Brentford game, we absolutely just have to keep. We have to win, obviously, and keep it as a five point, at least a five point gap. Um, and then there's there's not too much pressure on us. It's obviously a pressure game. It's a huge game, but we don't necessarily have to win that game. We can go in without without pressure, and City have to come and try and beat us. So I'm confident we we can get at least three points. It's very hard to say what what the situation is going to be like. When do we play them? Is it April at their ground? Yeah. The thing is, is it if we can beat them um, 
if we can beat them at Arsenal, which I think we're you know, more than capable of doing, particularly how they're playing, if we can do that. And if and if we aren't slipping up in the other games outside of that, the pressure is huge on City when we go there. It's massive. Right. And so and, and it and it becomes one of those things that we can almost go into that game, hopefully, in a situation where there's there's not a huge amount to lose. Like you know, hopefully the buffer should be there such that, you know, it won't be you know, it won't be a case where the the the, the swing in that game would result in City overtaking us. And I feel like around that time, correct if I'm wrong, but I think that the Champions League games will be thick and fast around that time as well, right? Um yeah, you'd so it's all it's 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 interesting. So, listen, I'll answer your question, Aaron. I think that we'll get. Um, I'll, I'll I'll just say from being a slightly optimistic fan as well. Like I'll, I'll say we'll go. We'll get four points. So you think um, we'll be, win win at the Emirates? Yeah, I think we'll win at the Emirates and 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 draw there. Uh, now it's very hard to say, though, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think so. Exactly. I think actually, if we come come away from those games with two points, like if without losing any of them. That is pretty big in the context of like where we are now, because it's two games less where they can catch us. And it, you know, yes, we've dropped two points, but it means that our rivals have dropped two points. Yeah. And like, obviously, wins are great, but especially that away game, I think it's just a must not lose even the home game if we come away from there with a point yep. i'd feel i feel a bit like we did it when we played newcastle where it's like that we just didn't need to lose that and that's okay yeah because the really basic mathematical logic the really basic logic right is that at the end of the day if the gap stays the same every week that goes by is better for the team who are on top of that gap right yeah. that sounds a silly thing to say but the, the point is in a weekend like this for example well even though everything stayed the same, actually it's still better for Arsenal. Yeah. Because yeah, you've just moved that one fixture ahead. Exactly. So so I think that will they will know that. Arteta will know that. The team will know that. Um it it's it's gonna I I also think that there's also this perception that once City overtake Arsenal, that's it. Yeah, there is. Yeah, that's right. true. That, that I think that comes from that time. comes from us. Yeah. I think as well. Yeah, that does. Like it's yeah. this fear in the back of our head, right? That we have like like there's a scars from the end of last season. They still haven't healed, um, and we're just like, are we a good team? Are we title challengers? And like there, are, yeah, the rival fans are obviously giving us stick, saying oh, Arsenal fall away. You know, Gary Neville's been like saying this for since day one mm. that we'll fall away. I hope, you know, and we're just waiting to see, like, are we, are we going to fall away? And then will that pressure of like City overtaking us by two points, you know, is that the inevitable? I don't know. Like, like you said, Roger, I don't think it is because this City, unless they go on one of their mad runs where they do that 13 game winning streak, which I don't think they're going to do. Like you guys said, there's going to be a chance. We just need to stay in it. We do. I'm going to, you know, we've done a great job at avoiding talking about Everton Arsenal. But before we do, um, you know, Shani's been putting some comments in. I'm going to, he's got a question. He's got a question in here, um, which I'll direct to you guys. So um, I think this is in the context of City, the first bit. So he's saying, aside from tactics, is it a change in transfer stroke profile of player, effectively, that, you know, 
City's squad refresh has, has been about. Arteta's shift in players and profile is celebrated, but City seem to have shipped out their winners in favour of team players. Uh, Mize, what do you think? Well, I mean, when you think about the players that they've sh- sort of shipped out or sold, obviously two to us. I'm trying to think who else. They obviously Cancelo's gone now, but um, I don't know. I mean, possibly. I I wouldn't necessarily say they they've shipped out their winners. I, like the Zinchenko one, for example, that's turned out fantastic for us. But I feel like they probably thought at the start of the season considering he's been a relatively bit part player for them, like he's never been a, he's never held down a regular position, I don't think. Um, and he's been a bit of a rotation player. They probably thought that he's a player that, you know, for, for all the for all the reasons, you know, he wants first team football and all the rest of it and good money's coming for him. Makes sense, makes sense. And Hazus kind of similar. They've just signed Haaland. Hazus is a, you know, starts in most Premier League teams. Makes sense for him to go. So I'm not necessarily sure, like it's easy, it's easy to sort of question the players that they've sold now now that they are maybe not doing as well as they have been in the past. But um, yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily agree that they've shipped out their winners because you think of the play, think about the players that they've kept. Um, I think they've, they've got plenty of winners in that team. And I think they've, I mean, I'm not, not making excuses for city at all, but you think about a couple of the injuries that they've had. I'm thinking mainly Diaz, who was like a bit of a rock for them. Um, in defence. John Stones got injured recently, didn't he? And he's been like a lot. I was listening to quite a few podcasts uh, or a particular podcast um, and they were doing their team of the year so far and two out of the three guys were like, John Stones has been the best centre-back in the league up until now, which is really interesting because I didn't, I didn't even realise he'd been that good, to be honest. Um, but obviously, they 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 were pretty, pretty, um, pretty set on him. So, obviously, it sounds like Stones has been pretty good. So, they're, you know, it's, it's probably the equivalent of us losing Saliba and Gabriel. I know that our mm. next options are nowhere near as good as what City have got in the squad, but you know that's still quite disruptive to them. So maybe that's had an impact as well. The other thing is that like you look at, I just pulled up, like there's this illusion that the City squad, City have a big squad. They've obviously spent a lot of money. That's, that's true. But there's this illusion because City can obviously bring on one or two like elite, elite people off the bench, right? Like today they brought on De Bruyne, they brought on Gundogan. But you look at their bench today, uh, apart from those two, they had uh, Ortega, the goalkeeper, but then they had Diaz, obviously very good, Laporte, very good, uh, Gomez, another defender. But then after that, they had Calvin Phillips, they have uh, Maximo Perone and Cole Palmer. They just signed Perone. Yeah. yeah. Cole Palmer's meant to be like... I know what you coming. mean. I guess I know but what... what it's is. not... Like after you get past that, you know, those first, you know, one or two attacking players, you know, I felt like last season City had six or seven 50 million pound players on their bench and maybe their depth isn't as good as it used to be. And especially attacking wise, and that potentially hurts them a bit too. Mm. I think that's what Shani's saying. I mean, I guess Foden's injured as well, right? Um, I mean, Calvin Phillips is, you know, he's he's a solid squad player. You know, he's not going to be playing oh, yeah, any games, but, you know, you'd want him in your squad. Like, he was great for England. He does a job and all the rest of it. Like, yeah, I I, I kind of see where, you know, where Shani's coming from. And I can't necessarily say I disagree. He made, he made a good point. He put a list out, a list of players that have left since 2020. And, and when you read the list and you see the names, you're like, yeah, fair enough. Like, there are some serious players on there and se- serious winners and guys that, you know, 
were were integral to City's success over the last few year, few years. So maybe maybe it's just a case of, you know, he's almost rebuilding. Pep's in the middle of rebuilding this new team, um, like a new new kind of generation of City, as it were, and he just hasn't quite got either hasn't quite got it right yet, or maybe he just hasn't quite got the uh, the players that he wants in yet. I, I don't know. You know, if you think that you're now going with this Rico Lewis kind of um, option and he's playing the inverted fullback and today he played left back. He's been playing right back before that. You know, that's quite a drastic change and it might just take a bit of time for that that kind of move. And he's a very, very young player. It might just take a little bit of time for, for those things to work out. So it could just be a multitude of reasons, really. Um, it's hard to pin it down to one or two. So if we win the league, maybe we will just have benefited from them being in this year of transition, which they accept that they needed to be. Maybe we'll see. There's a lot of time to go. Um, Look, it certainly wasn't part of the plan to spend 36 minutes talking about um, City. Uh, But but, but, yeah. Anything to avoid talking about on the end the pod there no no but it was really it was really it was really good chat was really, you know obviously obviously everything to do with city right now relates so specifically to arsenal do you know what i mean in a weird way so you kind of have to talk about it um but um let's talk about our game because you know we were really we were all feeling it in the same way that all arsenal fans everywhere were feeling it like we're a very privileged position this season for losses to not be um very frequent particularly in the premier league they are incredibly infrequent um and <laughs> you know, Everton had Frank Lampard not so long ago. They were absolutely, absolutely atrocious under Frank towards the end. Um, their recruitment has been awful. Um, I mean, they even had players um, taking a medical, doing the media and legging it to other clubs, literally. Um, they 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 sold Anthony Gordon. Um, they, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a car crash. Um, you've got fans protesting left, right and centre. They want all the board out. The board weren't even at the game today. All their seats were empty. Um, it, sorry, yesterday rather. Uh, so, you know, all kinds of turmoil. But a point, Sean Dyche, who is, you know, like for, for fairly or unfairly has this reputation, right, of being a bit of an old school throwback manager, direct football you put him in the cat uh, in the category of Allardyce, that kind of genre, um, and and I say like fa- I say fairly or or unfairly because you know many people would actually point to what he did at Burnley over you know all those years and kind of say actually like he probably deserves a little bit more respect than that. Um, but anyway, look, he's come in. He's been there for what like a couple of weeks. Um, but I think this was his first Premier League game uh, or first game um, at all, and. Um, and we played, you know, the stereotypical new manager bounce, whatever you want to call it. The fans were rocking. The players were so motivated, up for it, surprisingly well drilled um, for the short space of time that he's been there. And um, and we weren't quite at our best, were we, Aaron? <laughs> yeah, no, we were rubbish, mate. Let's put it. <laughs> <laughs> like quite at our best is uh is putting it nicely we were awful I know, and you can give credit to everton as much as you like um yes new manager bounce very unfortunate i but we were we were just bad um i think every single player was bad pretty much maybe one or two decent ish performances but you could clearly see that there were a few players who were just a level or two below their usual high standards. 
Now, uh, does that mean, does that automatically qualify us as being bad at playing devil's advocate? Because, you know, it was interesting when I was watching Sky, Mika Richards made a point of basically saying, you know, Arsenal didn't do all that wrong, that much wrong yesterday. You know, they had some chances, they weren't their best, but they didn't do that much wrong. Um, is it that we expect so much of Arsenal that when we are even a couple of years below, it seems awful? Or was, do you think? Yeah, I think there's a, yeah, I think we are bad. We were bad. In like when you compare to our very very high standards this season, right? And I think that was a performance. And I think then the question is, when you are bad, can you still come away with a decent result? Either can you nick a win, or can you at least come away and not get beat? And it was just one of those games where look, they they started. You know, we started all right actually, and then you know eventually they were they were tough on us. They were tackles flying in. The pitch was awful, and then they got they got a goal, and then that that was it. Right then, they just made it very very difficult for us. And I thought actually our worst period of the game was probably the last fifteen minutes, where I thought, look, you've conceded the goal, you've had some time to recover, you haven't conceded a second goal, but now go and get an equalizer. And I think. Those last 15 minutes after the subs, I thought were, I think, I don't know, it was, it was bad, right? I think I've used the word bad about 15 times now. But uh, yeah, I think the the thing is, right, how do we just, we just need to make sure that it doesn't repeat itself. And we've been, we've been really good this season at just isolating those defeats as to what the, the one of the defeat um, and just moving forward. And if we can do that again, I'm still very, very confident that we'll turn up against Brentford on Saturday and we'll put this to bed. And this actually, today's result probably helps us a bit because it means that, look, like in terms of the league table, we're no worse off now. Just put it behind us and move on. And as long as we do that, then nobody will care. When it gets to the Premier League years and they're talking about our title win, we'll just fast forward this game (laughs) and we'll... (laughs) <laughs> we'll just we'll just move on. I, I think I think it's good. I was just going to say I think you're being a little bit harsh on Everton. I thought Everton were like we we weren't at the races. We weren't at the you know the high standards that we've set ourselves this season. Um, for whatever reason that was, it was a bit of a weird. Again, that's another weird one to kind of understand what actually happened with us. But I feel like Everton were really good. Like oh, they they were good, but like even I think yeah. Even if Everton are good, you still expect us to win, right? Well, this is the thing because it is they are now a completely different side. Not just because they've changed. Well, yeah, pretty much just because they've changed their manager. Like under Lampard, there was, you know, no fight, no quality really. Like there, there was so much wrong with them under Lampard, and they were just going nowhere. Obviously, that's why they sacked him. And they clearly, you know, Dyche, as Raj said, you know, Dyche comes into any club, whatever club he, club, club he comes into, it doesn't matter who the players are, he's going to play a certain way, he's going to set them up a certain way. And when when the lineup came out, you know, I uh, watched the game with a mate at the pub. When the line, lineup came out, he said to me, looked at the 11, he said, well, we looked at it together and he said, you know, that's not a, you know, that's a mid-table 11. You know, that's a Premier League mid-table 11 in terms of who's starting. And they're not amazing. They don't have any kind of like star players as such, but that's a fairly solid 11. It's not like a, a Bournemouth, for example, or a Southampton. Um, and so I think that's what we saw yesterday. You know, I think we saw what Everton should, should have been for the, for the last six months or even for last season as well. Um, and yeah, obviously Daesh is going to come in, but he's going to come in and like I say, it's going to be his plan and it's going to be, yeah, direct. It's going to be 
like tough tackling all the rest of it kind of you know getting your foot in and you know he's going to get them get them up for it and all of that but like even if you just watched how well they pressed as a team and the work rate that they put in off the ball like they were really good in that sense like they didn't give players like Erdegaard much time at all well not much time. they didn't give Erdegaard any time really to kind of do what he would normally do and I think like for example that's one of the reasons why Arsenal weren't as good as we have been you know yesterday we weren't as good as we have been in, in other games um and yeah they were just very very solid to be honest and going forward you know I think I messaged in the group in the group chat saying, you know, like how are we feeling about this? Because I didn't feel particularly confident. I didn't. I didn't think. Yeah, none of us did. And I thought, you know, it was it. What we expected is kind of what happened in terms of what we expected from Everton, where they just obviously went very very direct. They got got the ball out wide as much as possible. They tried to get crosses in. As a result, they won a shitload of corners. And every corner, obviously, they scored from a corner. But every corner, we like. I felt like we were struggling to defend every corner. Like, yeah, we were. We were probably, you know winning headers or whatever, but it wasn't like where I've seen Arsenal in the past, as in this season in the past, where I feel like generally we've been pretty comfortable from like set pieces and corners, but I felt like it wasn't even they were putting in particularly good delivery. I'm not sure what it was, but I th- I feel like we really struggled and they just had this, I remember there was a period in the first half, I think, where they just had this like flurry of like three or four quarters in a row. And we, we really seemed to struggle. Like it wasn't like a, it wasn't comfortable at all. And I think that's kind of, what transpired in the second half where they obviously got another corner and they managed to score from it. Do you reckon it was a complacency then from us? No, I don't think so. I think sometimes these games just happen, right? Like, like you say, right, uh, Aaron, and hopefully we look back at this game at the end of the season and it, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't come up in, in conversation at all. It's just like, Oh, we lost to Everton, but then we went and went, we went and beat Brentford. We went and got a result against city and we just, the season, you know, our progress carried on. That's the thing, right? So I don't, I don't think it's complacency. I don't think there's any reason. Like I just don't see that with this team. I don't see that with Arteta. I, I, I personally just can't see him accepting that. I think it's just. I think Everton were good. I think the narrative was set up for Everton to do what they did yesterday. It was, yeah, first manager's first game, home game, you know, early kickoff. Fans were obviously going to be, you know, rocking that Goodison. Um, and I think there was just a lot of things that combined with us maybe not being at like 100% performance level, you know, maybe we were sort of like, like Michael Richard said, maybe we didn't do anything that wrong, but at the same time, we weren't as good as we have been. I think a combination of all those things just meant, you know, we only lost one nil at the end of the day yeah. to a set piece. Like it wasn't like we mm-hmm. got, but at the same time, I feel like Everton had the better chances. Everton were probably better going forward. Like they missed a, a good couple of these, like a couple of good chances as well. So yeah, I think it's just one of those days. I think it's one of, like you said, Aaron, and one of those days, but you've got, you. it's all about the response now. It's all about the response because that that is ultimately what is going to make or break us as potentially champions this season. You can't go now, go and not, not beat Brentford. If you don't beat Brentford, then yeah, it's a big, big, that's two games on the bounce where we're drop, dropping points. As that Mufasa in the comments with the Wenger quote of if you eat caviar every day, it's difficult to return to sausages. That probably does sum up the bulk of kind of the emotional reaction that most of us kind of, you know, like outpoured as fans. Um, One interesting thing, if you wanted to give Arteta and the boys the benefit of the doubt um, in some ways, a lot of the players have spoken about how how detailed Arteta is and how he prepares the team from what they're going to face. I can't remember which of the players said it, but they sort of articulated that he was 
you know, he'd almost be able to tell them what was going to happen before it would happen. And then when they'd get on the pitch, the exact things would happen. And, you know, it was, it was so helpful for them as players. I suppose when you've got a new manager coming in, um, that is quite stylistically different from Frank Lampard. It might have been difficult for Arteta to predict how they were going to play given the players that they had, etc. This being said, right, this was doing the rounds on the internet and I thought it was quite impressive. Uh, you know, there's a um, there's a YouTube channel, I believe it's a YouTube channel called, I think it's Coach's Voice. And it's one of these where they get these professional. Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite cool. So so various coaches uh, go on and they do kind of masterclasses in in coaching. So they've got a little, they've got a little board and they've got their little kind of pieces with with players and they they use it to um, uh, indicate to talk through tactics and how they would prepare, etc. And they cut a snippet of Sean Dyke's masterclass a, a while ago. And he was basically talking about how in the teams that he coaches, they work really hard on doing this thing called protecting the V, which, and he kind of described it, and it was effectively just a, a way of defending essentially where you make sure that you kind of create this V that comes from the goal outwards. It's like a very sort of specific thing, kind of touches the edge of the penalty area and then kind of comes straight. And he basically just talked about how you've got these four defenders, your four defenders, they kind of sit in there. You've got your like midfielders above there. And then as soon as kind of uh, a winger kind of gets the ball wide, then one of your defenders, and it's basically just all about how you manipulate your players to make sure that you are defending statistically the most dangerous part of the pitch, which is that V area. So we kind of was using all these things. And what they then did was they played a video of Everton against us, basically doing exactly what he was doing with those pieces. And so what was really impressive there, I I suppose from my point of view is that's clearly something, you know, he mentioned, he goes, me and my coaching staff work really, really hard on that. I suppose what's really impressive is they're doing that so quickly. So he's managed to get them doing that very, very quickly. But actually it was really working against us because effectively, you know, what their plan is in doing that, they go, you make them go wide. And when they go wide, we double up on them over and over again. You sort of do that and you get loads of players in this dangerous area as well. Um, And it felt like we struggled with that. Now the bit that, now flipping it onto us, if you are a top team, you always know that you're going to face teams with a kind of low block or a mid block who are going to do stuff like this to, to try and stifle you. All the top teams know that. And so they come up with their kind of tactics to try and come come out of this. But one of the tactics is purely individual brilliance, right? You stack a team with like top, top talent, and then you hope that individual be- uh, brilliance, if, if nothing else is working, individual brilliance, you can't really have a tactic to defend against someone who is going to do a little, you know, crazy bit of skill or, 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 or a shot from 30 yards that, you know, most players can't make. And I think that was what I was a bit disappointed with that a lot of our players are top, top players. And there's been moments this season that they've been doing incredible things. And in a game like, you know, what, what we had the other day, I was really disappointed that no one was able to produce that because Pickford basically had nothing to do all game. And that's really disappointing for me because at the end of the day, like you guys said, right, it's still Everton, despite the new manager, despite kind of, you know, them being at Goodson Park. Player for player, yes, my's like, you know, on paper, maybe it looks like a a mid-table team, but we're still Arsenal top of the league. We've scored in every game this season aside from the Newcastle game at home. Um, You know, we really should be doing a little bit better. So one of you mentioned the word complacency. I don't know, like, maybe there was a little bit of that in the players thinking if we do the things that we've been doing this season, et cetera, like we kind of know what we're doing. We're just going to go out there, do it and it will come. 
And I don't know if ultimately, you know, this was that cliche of one team just wanting it a little bit more on the day. Um, I've been happy for thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I I agree a bit. I mean, like the way Everton set up, Brad, you, you were spot on. It was, you, you know, they basically doubled up on Martinelli and Saka. And to be fair, I thought they did a really good job. Like every time Martinelli or Saka got the ball, there was always two men on them. And I thought that was like quite impressive how they just constantly got people uh, out in the right positions, the right times. Um, and it was quite similar to the way Newcastle set up against us after like 20 minutes where they were just like, right, like we can't compete. We're just going to have five people in the midfield and we're going to stop them. Once it goes wide, we're going to stop them doing anything, getting it into the middle and we're going to double up so they can't go outside. And it, it, and then basically we just, they were like, we're just going to hope we can do something up the other end. And yeah, I think usually what happens is if they try and stop Martinelli and Saka, you've got Odegaard and, and Ketio who can do something. Um, but for whatever reason, they just weren't able to. And that was, a, that was a frustrating thing because I thought, you know, like, is it individual brilliance or do we just need, was it just our players not playing well? Um, and it, it was hard to really assess that. And maybe we can discuss this in a bit, but I thought the substitutes also then just took a bit of momentum out where actually if you had just given that first, I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but if you had just given that first 11 who are, you know, our best 11 players, the time to just find that moment of individual brilliance or just find that bit where they can do something, maybe it's a different game. Um, maybe not. Maybe they go and score two and three and then we lose three nil and then we're like, why didn't he make any subs? But um, I I did feel that that last 15 minutes, we, you know, the Man United game, when it was 2-2, we were all over them, right? Similar games where we're chasing a winner or chasing an equalizer. We absolutely batter them in possession and we create chance after chance. And, you know, for a player like Eddie Nketiah, that's great, right? But for 15 minutes, we did nothing. Eddie couldn't get anywhere near the ball and then he had to come out wide and do things. And then it was, it just seemed like the structure went out the window a bit. But surely it's really different, right? You you cited the Man United game as an example, but the Man United game when we lost them away, like part the criticism part of the criticism that was aimed at Arteta was that. No, I meant Man United actually, at home. Oh, right. we're like sorry, when, we, sorry. when we're two two, we yeah. uh, like we we were all over them, right? Chasing mm-hmm. that winner. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's different when you're, but then I think you'd expect when you're losing, you would just really tighten the screw and just try and get that. But we couldn't get any. They were they were comfortable, like you said, right? Pickford didn't have a save to make, and um. Mm. You know, we like the Man United away game that you talked about. We came away from that game, like, yeah, we lost, but we were like, actually, we played well enough to win. And mm. we probably should have won, were it not for some naive defending and maybe a few panic subs in that game. But this game, I said it to you like five minutes before the end, like, we could play this for another half an hour. I don't think we're going to score. And that, that, and I agree that was probably true. But Mike, can I get your take on the subs? Uh, because you know Aaron has talked about the substitutions. I, I have my own views, but what, what what were your thoughts on it? Because look, we we've talked about for, about squad depth for ages. We've talked about that being one of the key reasons why we thought that Arsenal might not be able to last in the title race. But we have in the in the transfer window done exactly that. We've gone for depth. We perhaps went for some bigger targets, couldn't get them. We couldn't get Mudrick, and we didn't end up getting Saicedo in the you know in the latter stage of the window. But we did get depth, right? So we got Trossard, we got 
um Kuior from you know Spezia who uh you know although is an unknown entity is clearly there as a backup to Gabriel for now anyway um and um and then we signed Jorginho who is you know very experienced starts for Chelsea before he came to us but but understandably he's not going to displace Partey so we've gone for depth we've gone for backup so then they're on the bench and and you know two of those guys have come on I mean so what what are your thoughts on it you know did you think that the subs were bad did you think that we should have I mean Aaron is saying that effectively he could have let that team try and find more solutions the, the first team the best team that we have on paper <laughs> Uh, so I think the first couple of subs, Marcelli and Partey, I was quite surprised that he went for a double sub so early on, like it was still half an hour to go. So in some ways I agree with Aaron because he could have let that run another five or 10 minutes. Let's just see kind of what, what happens basically. But, and also to allow people who had Martinelli in their dream team to get two points as opposed <laughs> to one point. Yeah. That's a good point as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I can't say I was too unhappy because I remember the ever uh, the sorry the Newcastle game, different game obviously, but the fact that we were at home in that game, and then clearly Arteta he didn't make I can't remember the subs that he did make, but I don't think he made many if any, and if he did make any, it was right towards the end of the game, and we were sort of, <clears throat> you know that's normally that that Newcastle game would normally be a game where you're sort of saying to the manager as a fan you're like make a change you know 10, 15, 20 minutes to go, but obviously we didn't have the options off the bench that day. Um, and it's a very, very different situation, as you just said, Raj, because we've added a couple of players, especially Trossard, who are there to, yeah, not just be backups, but to compete for first team spots. So you would like to think that they're the guys that you bring on, Jorginho and, and Trossard are the guys that you bring on to make that difference. Um, so I can't say I was too unhappy because it was quite nice just to see him change it up a little bit earlier than normal. It was it was nil-nil when he made his hubs. It was nil-nil, but, yeah. yeah. And I think... It just wasn't, whatever the problem was, it just wasn't happening for us for that first hour or so. It just hadn't happened. Um, maybe it was like you said, Marcelli was getting doubled up on and he just wasn't effective. So that sub made made sense. Party apparently, not apparently, but we know Party had a bit of an issue last week, didn't he? Um, against City away. So maybe that went, you know, was part of the thinking around why Partey only played an hour. The Erdegaard one for me was a bit, that's the one that I wasn't that keen on because I think if you're taking off Erdegaard, it needs to be a player like Smith Rowe coming on in the sense that I know Smith Rowe wasn't on the bench, but you know, it should be a, a player where you know what you're going to get. And you, you've seen Smith Rowe come on in games in the past. I'm just using Smith Rowe as an example, but you've seen him come on, come on in the past and make an impact. You know that he has been able to do it in the Premier League with Vieira. We've just not, seen it yet like I'm sort of I'm sure Vieira is going to go on to be a really really good player and he looks fantastic when he's got time on the ball and but I don't think yesterday was the kind of game and yeah I just don't think it was the kind of game for Vieira and unless there was a, like an injury problem with Erdegaard or something like that I was really surprised like he's our captain at the end of the day everything goes through him and he's just so instrumental like generally I not generally but I feel like for the most part he's involved in some way with mo- you know most of the things that we do good going forward and and a lot of the times that we actually create chances like he is the he is the guy that's orchestrating the play he's got such a good link up with Saka as well so i just thought Vieira that felt a little bit more like desperation where you just don't really know what Vieira is going to go on the pitch and do and from memory i don't think he did very much and you know again it that 
it felt like the kind of game where you need to be up for it, like up for it physically. And I'm not sure Vieira is quite there yet as well. So that's probably the one that was a bit like, mm. and I think I said it in the group chat as well. And I think the response that you guys gave was, well, he's not had a very good game, but then who did? Like, do you know what I mean? No one really did. Like I probably would have preferred, say, Xhaka to come off and give and play two number 10s or play another attacking midfielder and bring Vieira on, but keep Erdegaard on the pitch. Um, but yeah, like, I thought Trossard did pretty well. I thought Trossard looked okay when he came on and he was willing to have, you know, have a couple of shots and that was nice to see. And I think with Martinelli, it's an interesting one at the moment because he's not like there, there's, there's like, there's a few theories with Martinelli that the reason he's not been as effective is because since Jesus came out of the team, I don't necessarily agree with this, but since Jesus came out of the team, his link up with Jesus is very different to his link up with Nketiah. So he's just not been as effective as a result of that. I'm not sure if that's necessarily necessarily true or not, but he's, I don't, yeah, I think he's, I don't want to say he struggled, but he's probably not been as effective in the last few games as he was at the start of the season or the first part of the season. So that sub kind of made sense. But yeah, look, overall, I'm not like, I, I don't mind, I didn't mind him making, making a couple of early subs, but Erdegaard was the one that I would have wanted him to stay on the pitch personally. Yeah, I think um, I kind of agree in that, like you said, Raj, if we want, that was the type of game that, where the only way we were really going to come out of it was either with a bit of luck or if someone did something special. And you're far more likely to get something special from Erdegaard than you are from Vieira. Um, and like you said, Mize, I think look, though, those Everton players, they realise very quickly that we can like we can kick these kids <laughs> and we can like we can have a go at them. I think Erdegaard, they were like at his at his toes quite early on. Saka got taken out a few times. Martinelli really struggled with the double up. And, you know, I think Vieira is not the solution to that problem, right? Like if anything, Vieira is more of a target and a bit more lightweight than, than Odegaard. And I thought, you know, I, I did feel that we did lack a bit of, what's the word? Strength? if that's the right word or just play, players i think trossard is probably a good player to bring on in that sense because he's probably it's probably why he took on he brought martinelli on for sorry brought trossard on for martinelli because he thought actually i just need a bit more grit here and someone who's a bit older a bit more mature i don't think Vieira really gives you that and i think i would have much rather had odegaard on the pitch um and again party I, basically I, I don't think you take your two best players off if you're trying to win a game and we took off Erdegaard and Partey and inevitably we became worse as a team. Yeah, I'm not, so I don't really know where I stand on this to be honest. Cause I can see, I can see particularly the value in keeping Odegaard on, even if he's not having a great game. And partly I think that's because actually in a situation where you're searching for a goal, is it actually that much of an issue to have two creators on. So if Xhaka was to go off for Vieira, and I, and I can only imagine it's because Vieira hasn't really played in that role for us yet. Maybe Arteta doesn't um, see him in that way. The thing is, I think what we do need to think about a little bit, right, is we are this season, we've been quite used to going game by game and kind of kind of looking at this as a let's get through every single game individually. What do we have to do in this game, etc. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the wrong thing to do, but Arteta as a manager will still have to look at this season and how he manages the season and how he manages his players through the season. And what I mean by that is I don't think it's as straightforward for us to say, say for example, with Vieira, they clearly rate him. They clearly think that he's um, a talented player. They wouldn't have signed him otherwise. It's very difficult to 
expect him to just kind of play the odd cup game and then be brilliant and then show us all the things that he needs to do in those cup games. It's very difficult. And then equally, it's very difficult to just think then, well, we'll bring him on when we're like winning 2-0 or 3-0 or something like this at home. Like It's not always going to happen. Ultimately, sometimes you probably do need to let him come on when actually we need to find a solution and we're not playing well. It's just, you know, give an opportunity to try and unlock something, put him in that pressure situation as part of his kind of integration into this team. Um, And I'm using him as an example, but it could be any one of these kind of new players. Because otherwise, I don't think it's going to... I think we'll be in this catch-22 where we'll keep saying he hasn't shown enough, he hasn't shown enough, when we're not really giving him enough opportunities to kind of grow into the team and, and show those things. Um, but I do agree that perhaps keeping Odegaard on the pitch would have been um, the right thing to do overall. Um, w- with Jorginho and, and, and Trossard, again, like, look, fundamentally, I sort of think that we can't we can't be in a situation where we think that the best option when we're not doing well is just to keep everyone on the pitch. Like yeah. then it just feels that like there's no point. There's no point to us even what, what you know having backup or or having kind of competition for places. Yes, it's not unusual that you would still have a you know a best eleven, particularly when you're you're on top of the league. But I do think that in situations like um, against Everton where it just wasn't clicking for whatever reason, it wasn't working. No one was really standing out, etc. And you could argue one of the things that we weren't doing well was controlling the game and, and, and kind of just, just, just settling down and be calm. And, you know, every, every analyst and every kind of tactico or whoever you want to call them who were analyzing the um, Jorginho deal were effectively saying, well, that's the thing Jorginho brings. He brings calmness. That's what his, that's what his game is. So you could argue that actually that made sense. He's going to come on and he's going to try and kind of, you know, calm things down and play sensible passes. And, um, and actually I sort of rewatched parts of the game again and he sort of did do that. Um, So look, I, Look, I, I think the frustration is ultimately the subs didn't come on and improve us. That's ultimately the frustration. So in hindsight, they didn't improve us. So in hindsight, actually, if you know, assuming that that is a known thing, which it never is, then you might as well have just kept the you know original bunch on the pitch. But at the same time, you know, fine, we've lost the game and it's unfortunate. But you'd hope that actually that game time that you know Vieira had and 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 Jorginho had and Trossard have is just going to help them be kind of even more valuable to us in the upcoming games. You know, you'd you'd hope that, right? Um. Anyway, listen, we uh we've we've done a great job at uh, at going past the hour talking a lot about Man City and I think getting into it about Arsenal. I think it's interesting because I feel like when we were reflecting on this Arsenal game. We, um, yeah, I think we were appropriately critical, but I think at the same time, like the city game has provided some different, some additional perspective in, in, you know, in how to analyze this. It's going to be a long season, isn't it guys? Very, very quickly. Um, you know, let's go to the league table and again, just getting your guys thoughts. So, um, if there's one team in that top kind of four unit that has really benefited from this weekend, it's Man United, right? Man United, you know, we've been talking about city, and, you know, is a City going to do it? A City going to take over Arsenal, etc. I mean, Man United have come out this weekend looking okay, right? Because Man United are now, again, only three points behind City. So they're on 42 points. City are on 45 points. And Arsenal have played a game less than City and are on 50 points. So there's still that eight-point gap between Arsenal and Man United. And Arsenal have played a game less. United do have this 
sort of run coming up of fairly straightforward fixtures. They've got Leeds home and away, I think, coming up back to back. You would probably expect them to to win both those games. Um, Man City, I think, are going away to Villa. I want to say that they're away. They're at home. I think they're they're home. Sorry. They're home. Okay. And and Villa are yeah they kind of lost to Le- to Leicester in spectacular fashion I suppose the other day but um, but they have been quite tricky right Villa um, I think I saw a stat the other day prior to the Leicester game there is no team that has picked up more points since Unai Emery joined Villa than Villa so I think only Arsenal have picked up more points than Villa since Emery joined that was up till last game but I guess given Arsenal lost it's probably still true um, so um, that could be tricky for City but uh, what do you guys think? You know, all in all, we've got Brentford next week. Myers, you sort of said how important Brentford is. Mm. Uh, if if we if we win, imagine we win, City win, and um, and Man United win. Is that an outcome that you're expecting? Yeah, I would say so. Um, so I, I mean, look, it's with, just specifically on Brentford, right? Um, our game. Brent, I like Brentford a lot. They play. They play generally play really good football. Um, they're the form team in the league. They're the form, and that, yeah, I was kind of come on to this. They are in. I didn't realize how good their form currently is. Have they not lost like in months? Is it? I, I was trying. I was having a look, and I didn't really get a chance to look. Properly, well, it could but. be. I mean, again, I've only got their last five games. I can get more, up, but they've got their last five games where they've won four and drawn one. So obviously, with you know World Cup break as well, but you know factored in, but. So yeah, they haven't lost since October. They yeah, they don't. They've only lost four games all season, I think, which is the same amount of City now. That's so. crazy. So they've only lost. Yeah. They lost four 0 to Villa in October, and so that, and since then, three, six, nine games unbeaten. I think that is, mm-hmm. and a lot, a lot of quite a few wins in there as well. Liverpool, they drew to Tottenham, beat City. So yeah, they're obviously a seri- serious team, seventh in the league. So I don't think it's going to be easy at all. Um, and like Raj, you, you know, you were kind of going through some of the fixtures that United have got, and you sort of like, yeah, leads twice. They should get six points from those games. But this is it, right? Like we should have beaten Everton yesterday. Just you can't. Mm. It's so hard to predict like that. And I think that's probably the thing that I'm just not even going to bother doing anymore, right? Like looking at the <laughs> fixtures and being like trying to map it out because it's just it's so unpredictable. I mean, I think this particular game, it, I think it's going to be a really tough game against Brentford. Um, because of because of their form, I really do like their team. I like their front three, um, and Buemo, Wisser, and um, Tony. It's just like a really dangerous front three, kind of Tony leading the attack, and obviously like a really big physical presence. But he's he's a very good player. And then the other two, kind of on the on the on the flanks, have both got goals in them. Um, so yeah, like I can see it being quite a dangerous game. Um, but like I said before from an Arsenal perspective, if you've got any ambitions of winning the league, you just have to respond. Like you have to respond to a defeat like we had yesterday and a performance like we had yesterday. You've got a home game against a team that on paper you should be beating. Um, And so you just have to come out. However we do it, I don't really care if we don't play well. I'm not really that bothered. Just have to get the three points because again, like I said before, on the assumption that City beat Villa at home, which they probably should do, um, you don't want to be going into that city game in midweek the following week with like a two point gap, for example, that, that creates all sorts of pressure and it just sets that night up like that, that game, it just sets the narrative up for that game to be all about city 
going top by the end of that game. That's what it will it will be all about that. And then it will become all about Arsenal are, Arsenal are crumbling because that'll be, you know, losing to Everton, potentially dropping points to Brentford and then losing to um City. That's that that is a bit of a that's a collapse really from where we were. Mm. So it's it's just massive. So that's why I'm saying I just want to get a result. I don't really care um how we get it um because we just we just have to get the three points. Agree with you, and Aaron and you know, Mai's mentioned the front three of Brentford. Does that, in some ways, help us in the sense that you know we've struggled against teams that are sitting back against us? Um, but you know, Brentford have got a dangerous front three. Do, do you do you hope that they actually try and be a bit adventurous against us, or can you see them setting up in the same way that perhaps you know Everton and 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 Newcastle did? Yeah, I think. Um... I think Brentford away, when Brentford play away from home, they're a very different team to what they are when you go to their place. So, and I think part of that is because they do try and, they do try and play, play football and credit to them. Um, The problem is that's a lot harder to do when you're away from home. And hopefully, you know, it's a Saturday, three o'clock, the ground will be buzzing. It will be, you know, we make it very difficult. So, um, I'm fairly confident. I'll be very, very surprised if we drop points. I'll be shocked. But I don't think it'll be an easy game. I, yeah, I, like you said, it's one of those where, yes, obviously the result's important, but I do think we still need to play well because it's not yet, we're not yet at that part of the season where it's like last five games grind out results. Like we still need to build a base and these players need form to just beat these teams below us in the, yeah, I know Brentford are doing well, but in the bottom kind of the bottom twelve teams that we play, we should just routinely win home and away. And we need to get it and just get back into the habit. Yes, we had a blip, but our away record this season has been phenomenal. Um we just need to get back into the habit of doing well, winning, and then just cracking on. And then that will set up City. Like you said, if we go into that City game with a five point gap, we know that no matter what happens we're leaving that game top of the table. And um, that for me is, it just helps calm the narrative down a bit. You know, whoever, I think Amazon doing the game on against City, they'll be hyping it up like, no, what, like no tomorrow if that was a City can go top game. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's a Arsenal can actually, that you know, then we go into that game where the Arsenal can extend their lead to eight points game. And that's a very different narrative. Quick fire predictions. Aaron and go with the uh, momentum. I will go with 1-0 Arsenal. Interesting. Mice? Yeah, 2-1. Single goal win. That's really annoying. Those are, those are my two <laughs> options. Um, <laughs> I like, no, 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 it's all right. So, uh, look, I, I'm still going to go with You can with go with one. the same. There's no... There's yeah, no. yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I wanted, to, I wanted to be different. So, initially, I did think 1-0 and then I, then I thought that maybe it might be a one game um I, i'm gonna go with two one i'm gonna go with two one um i really hope i really 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 hope that we get back to our old way of scoring early like that's been so, such a great thing that we've been doing all season i think yeah. it's kind of like stopped recently and i really love that so i really hope we do that again um i can't wait though because 
you know how it is that the Emirates is just so good to be a part of at the moment. And I feel the players really vibe off it. So I can't be wait to, I can't wait to be part of that spectacle again. Um, but yeah, like you said, my, my, you know, I think you summed up really, really well when we really don't want it to be a case of you drop points here. And then the narrative is city beat Arsenal city go top. Like you just don't want that. Um, so, um, yeah, look, uh, Mufasa says Emery statue at the Emirates of Villa win. That's true as well. Like, you know, I think right now we are supporting every single team that plays City. Um, but listen, I've still got my eye on United now. They've, they, they're still annoying me a little bit. Uh, they've come back to annoy me again. So yeah. Leeds, come on, do your thing, Leeds. Uh, my use, Aaron, and thank you guys both very, very much. Uh, we're not going to be recording again. Uh, it's very unlikely we're recording again before Brentford. So um, we'll be speaking to everyone uh, post Brentford so let's just hope that um, we are having a positive conversation Mize, Aaron and thank you again good night boys good night cheers guys cheers everyone